Hey, um, I was in prayer this morning. By the way, if you don't know who I am, I'm Joel, I'm the lead pastor at the Gospel Tab. I was in prayer this morning, and um, two things. Um, first of all, I feel like there's either um, somebody, and this might just have been a passing thought, but there's someone who has thought of a way to use scissors and glue to bless somebody, um, or... Uh, you had an idea regarding like scissors and glue. I, I, two things. Either you've wondered if it's from God or um, you just had this passing thought and didn't think it was from God at all. But it's like I just hear God saying, that is God and you should go for it. All right. So I don't know if that's for an adult or kids. Scissors and glue, why not? And if that's you, I would love if you, if you told me afterwards. Secondly, um, I had a, a prophetic word for someone at the healing and impartation night that had to do with um, uh, nation-shifting prayer. And I just haven't been able to let go of that. And I feel like um, it's actually something that God is gifting uh, to people in this season. It's like a burden for a nation or a region. And it's like God is saying, this is going to shift nations. Um, he just wants you to know that he is seeing your prayers. So two things, I know we got to get to the sermon, but number one, if you're in this room and you're already burdened for a nation or a few nations, and it's a place you often go to in prayer, um, I want to acknowledge that in just a second. Or if there's something in you as I'm saying this, it's like, yeah, I think God is putting that on my life to be an intercessor for the nations or an intercessor for a nation. If either of those describe you, can you just raise your hand real quick? Awesome. Um, can you just stand to your feet real fast? I don't want to put you on the spot. But stand to your feet. All right. God, we bless these intercessors. In Jesus' name, we bless the burden that you're putting on them for nation-shifting prayer. And we declare that you see their prayers, that when they press in for the nations or a nation, when you burden them for a nation, that, God, you are empowering their prayers, hearing their prayers. And we just speak a word of hope over you that God is doing far more with your prayers than you realize. He is hearing them. He's moving. He's shifting leaders in the church. And um, I just sense an empowerment underneath you to keep praying, to not cease, that the Spirit of God is going to keep empowering you to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Can we give glory to God? Okay, we're continuing today in our series on honor, and it feels so right, the way that God is working among our Gospel Tab family, for us to be in this season of remembering this core value of ours, that part of what it means to be a family on mission is that we honor one another in our relationships, and this is such a big deal for us um, at the Gospel Tab. We are called to be a people, and this is what we're going to be talking about today. We're called to be a people who champion one another's callings. And we're going to be looking at an example of this in the scripture. Um, who get behind the calling of the person next to you, right? And champion that thing. Pray for that thing. Support that thing. Speak life into that, right? Not just for ourselves, but for the person who's next to us. And this is part of what it means to be a family on mission. It's part of what it means to be a people of honor that we champion the callings of the people around us. And I want you to know, as you know, many of you know, we keep talking about it. I'm in this process of, 
uh, transitioning from this lead pastor role at the Gospel Tab, although I will still get to be around you after this transition. Um, but as I approach this transition, something that is just really deep in my heart for all of you, because I think you already do this so well as a family on mission, but something that is so deep in my heart for all of you is that you keep championing one another, that you keep calling out the gifting that God has put on the person next to you. That you can, it is so necessary for that to be the case if we're going to have multiplying gospel movement in a region. Because friends, it says in our own value statements of the gospel tab that being mobilized for mission is not for a class of elite disciples, right? This is for all of us. And if it's for all of us, and if God is calling all of us, then it means he will use the family to identify those callings and to call those things out in each other. Um, I have nothing against spiritual gift tests and inventories. All those things can be super helpful. I've done a lot of those things. Our church staff has done a lot of those things. But there isn't any replacement for people being in relationship with the family of God and people just saying to each other, here's what I see God has put on your life. You need to pursue that thing. Yeah. Here's, here's what I see God has put into you, this passion. You're feeling it, but I see it too. And I'm going to get behind that and pray for it, right? To come to fullness of expression. I think we hear God's voice on our callings very often through each other. Don't get me wrong. There is part of your calling that will be communicated to you in God's manifest presence, just you and him. That's very true. There's part of this journey with Jesus that's just you and him and him speaking to you, no doubt. And I believe that. But God often uses us to speak to each other, to identify. I, one of the ways I knew I was called to ministry is because over the years, and by the way, I was often young, so if I can say something about speaking over our youth and our kids, yeah. I was often young, but people were coming alongside me in environments like this and saying, we think God has put this on your life. You know, we think God has called you to this. We think, yeah, Joel, this thing that's happened to you, um, we think that's God. There were people interpreting some of the things that were happening around me as the voice of the Lord, right? And maybe I wouldn't have been able to see it, right? If people hadn't come alongside of me and said that they saw God in that. Um, but more important than accomplishing mission or, you know, seeing the multiplication of mission in our region, guys, we have to champion each other's calling because doing that requires like an outward orientation. We're not just like looking at ourselves and our calling. Um, we're also paying attention to what God is doing around us. And what that creates an environment of love, right? And uh, I wasn't down here a couple of weeks ago when this was being preached, um, but I heard Jake's sermon up the hill. And Jake was saying, you know, Jesus' command to love one another um, this is one of our primary, like, it's one of the primary ways that Jesus draws unbelievers to himself, mm-hmm. is they see our love in one another. They don't see a bunch of self-interested people, right? They see people who are thinking about one another, who are paying attention to one another, right? And as God does that, there's an attractive thing in that. There's a pool in that, right? God draws people to that kind of love. So if we're going to be a loving community, it's necessary for us to pay attention to one another's callings. Now, before we get into the scripture passage and get any further in this, um, I do want to give a warning because we're going to be talking about making 
room for people in the family of God. And we live in an age where the family of God, the church, especially in America more than ever, is cognizant that sometimes we shelter people in our midst who actually were hurting people, mm. right? Um, I think about this all the time as a pastor because the way I use my voice, the way I um, make it okay for someone to be among us, right? I carry a weight of responsibility in that because part of my role is also to protect all of you, yeah. right? So I've put a lot of thought into this, a lot of prayer into this, but we're going to be looking at an example in the scriptures today where someone who the church thought was dangerous, uh, someone actually saw through that and made room for them, right? And, this, and that so fits with my experience because oftentimes the people who the church thinks is dangerous actually aren't, right? And many times the people who actually are dangerous are the people who fit our churchianity like a glove, right? They're the people who knew how to talk the talk and walk the walk. The people who did, don't fit all of this, they end up not being a danger a lot of times because everyone's looking at them. You know what I mean? They're making everyone uncomfortable. Many times, the people who deceive us the most, right, are the people who know how to navigate church the most, yeah. right? Um, and that does require leadership. It requires us to be discerning. It requires us to listen to the Holy Spirit. And friends, there are things that we can build into our culture as a church that I do think protect us. And we have many of those things here at the Gospel Path. This is not what I'm preaching on this morning. But I think I'm giving you an encouragement to keep these things in our culture. So for instance, that a plurality of leaders leave, mm-hmm. right? That, that a church does not surround one leader and one voice and one charismatic personality and one preacher and all that. How many times are we going to fall for that kind of leadership as a church and see how that kind of thing hurts us, right? The more kind of leaders we can empower, the better. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. And we just empower one leader to lead and make a church about his or her personality, right? Then we leave all kinds of room for that leader to fall to temptation to abuse the church, right? Because no one can speak up to them, right? And there's just a, a limitation thing, too, that even if that leader's heart is pure, like for me at the Gospel Tab, there's no way I can keep eyes on everything that's happening in the life of the church. I need a team of people, right, who are discerning and prayerful, right? So you know we share the preaching at the Gospel Tab. We share leadership at the Gospel Tab. And it's not just like a protective measure, but it ends up being a protective measure, right? Just being who God created us to be as a family. And so one of the most protective things we can do is just uh, walk in humility honestly with each other, right? Be the kind of people who can hear each other. Be the kind of people who can share, all right? Now, today, when we talk about championing each other's calling, I actually had another scripture passage, but I said John is preaching up the hill, and um, John came to me, and we changed the scripture passage because he said, I just can't think of anyone who exemplifies this better than Barnabas. And so we're going to look at two passages in the book of Acts of someone who championed someone's calling. We're going to look at how he championed Paul's calling. At the, time, at, the, at the point we pick up the story, Paul is still being referred to as Saul. 
and John Mark's calling. Yeah. All right? So we're going to look at two, two different passages. We'll be in Acts chapter 9 and Acts 15. You know, Barnabas's name, he's one of the earliest believers in the early church at the foundation, the beginning of the church's movement in the book of Acts. His name was actually Joseph. But he was given the name Barnabas, referred to the name Barnabas by the apostles, because Barnabas means son of encouragement. He so embodied what we're talking about today that the apostles started to call him by this trait, right? Um, they started to call him by this thing. Henry, I'm sorry, this is off. I forgot. I have a word for you. Then we'll get back to this. Henry, I feel like I'm noticing there's been a bunch of strange, um, and this might not seem usual to you at all, but I keep seeing uh, that there's been like all these little comments about things you're wearing. So today it was like, who's in green, you know, back there. But God's actually speaking to you in this. And here's what it is. You are so clothed in Christ among us. Mm, The people people are seeing this. You know, Mm. you are bearing Jesus to us. And I think God just wants you to know that he's seeing you. And all of these like disconnected, just like little comments, Mm. God's actually speaking to you through it. And you're so clothed in Christ that you bear him to us. And we are grateful. Come on, let's give glory to God. So Barnabas, son of encouragement. All right, let's read from Acts 9, 26 to 28. It'll be on the screen behind me. Now, let me just pick up the story. Um, Let me just pick up the story uh, so you know exactly where we're at. This is after Paul, at this point still called Saul, who had been a persecutor of Christians. Let's remember who this guy was. Saul was so opposed to the message of Jesus and the followers of Jesus that he opposed them, um, was seeking to imprison them, was even willing that they would be killed. The first time Saul shows up in the story of the book of Acts of the early church is that he's holding the clothes, the coats of the people who are stoning Stephen, right? The early Christian to death. And he's there giving approval to this, right? To the martyrdom of Stephen. So don't ever think you're too far from being called to Jesus, right? Yeah. Because the man who wrote a lot of the New Testament was himself a persecutor of Christians, right? For a, whole, for a whole portion of his life. But then as he's on his way to persecute more Christians, he's radically encountered by the presence of Jesus. Jesus appears to him, speaks to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, right? Saul's life is transformed from that point. And there's some different things that happen in Saul's early formation in uh, some of the early chapters of Acts, Acts 7, 8, and 9. But one thing you should know about those chapters is even though you can read those chapters in like five minutes, years go by in between sentences of those passages. So Paul is being formed in different ways. He's, He's getting engaged in ministry. He's doing different things in the cities. He's in Damascus in Syria for a little while, but a long period of time has gone by, right? And God is continuing to work in Saul's life. Well, you know, the Christian movement was birthed out of Jerusalem, and where we're picking up the story now is when Saul goes to Jerusalem to kind of meet the original apostles there, right? The people who had laid the foundation of the church there. Now remember, Saul had been involved in persecuting Christians in Jerusalem. Right? He's been gone for a long time, but God has been doing something in his life. 
And now he's going to meet the Christian leaders at Jerusalem. And this is what it says. When he came to Jerusalem, so this is Saul, also called Paul. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Right? Because he had a reputation. Um, They knew who he was. He had a history. Right? And the disciples in Jerusalem just could not get over this. They just could not make room for this. Right? Um, They were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. So they're questioning whether or not he's even saved, right? And then they sure don't see the anointing that God is putting on his life, right? Saul is going to go on to lead this missionary movement, right, in the ancient world. But at this point, the church in Jerusalem cannot see it. They cannot see what they put onto it. And by the way, I think, um, this is more than I'm going to get into in a deep way this morning, but... I think if you really look at Saul's story and you read his letters and his interactions with the church in Jerusalem, I'm not sure the church in Jerusalem ever really fully accepted him, to be honest. It's interesting. His home base for mission and ministry ends up not being Jerusalem, but another city north of Jerusalem called Antioch. And I think it's because Antioch had more capacity to be able to understand him and send him out. By the end of Saul's ministry, his relationship is in a good place with Jerusalem. And at the same time, I don't think they were ever fully comfortable with him. And I don't think he was ever fully comfortable with them, (laughs) even though they were in the same family, right? But look what happens. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. So Barnabas, so they, they like can't receive him, they can't understand him, and Barnabas is like, Come here. Come on. Let's just go meet him. Enough hearsay. Enough I heard this. I heard this. Enough being scared of you. Let's just go take you to the apostles and talk this out. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord. So Barnabas, who the apostles trust, they've named him son of encouragement. He tells them, first of all, hey, this guy really knows Jesus. Jesus appeared to him, so you can be sure of that. And that the Lord had spoken to him. And then Saul's already gotten involved in ministry in Damascus. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So now Barnabas says he really knows Jesus. And I'm beginning to see gifting in his life. This fearlessness. I'm seeing how he's being used for ministry. Right? He's saying both of those things. Two things out of this passage I want you to see. And then we're going to come back to it. Um, if you could go to the next slide. Next one. Yes, Barnabas makes room for Saul. And Barnabas witnesses to Jesus' work in Saul. So first of all, he just makes room. How? Very simply, Barnabas shares what he has with Saul. Which is these relationships. It's his social capital with people who are afraid of him. It's his time. Right. A lot of times we don't realize what we have to give other people. Right? Um, but Barnabas very simply just takes what he has, this trust, the trust that's been placed in him, and he gives it to Saul, right, in front of the apostles. And in that way, he makes room for him. He brings Saul from the edges, the fringes of this movement, into its center, right? And then he witnesses to the work of Jesus. This is actually a big theme in the book of Acts being a witness to Jesus. And that's really what Barnabas is witnessing to. He's not just like witnessing to Saul's gifts or something. By the way, I was giving him that warning at the, at the beginning of this. Like, 
just simple practices we could do to keep the family of God safe. Well, here's one of them. Witness to the work of Jesus in someone's life and not just to someone's charisma or gifting or something like that. I think a beautiful thing about the Gospel Tab is we are mighty unimpressed with people's giftings, right? And we have a lot of gifted people around here. But you could come in here and have all this like rhetoric and charisma. And generally speaking, our leaders are not going to be impressed, right? They're going to see through that to the person, right? So Barnabas is not just saying, oh, Paul's a good preacher or something. He's witnessing to the work of Jesus in his life. He's saying, I sense something about what Jesus is doing in this individual's life, and the apostles need to hear about it, right? So Barnabas does these two things. makes room, and then he witnesses to the work of Jesus in someone else. Now, let's jump forward in the story. Just tuck those things away. We're going to jump forward in the story now to when Saul, now commonly referred to as Paul, is on his missionary journey. As a matter of fact, he has already planted a bunch of churches in the ancient world. By the time we get to Acts chapter 15, uh, he's seen miracles in these cities. He's cast out demons in these cities. Believers have been saved and baptized in water. And they're beginning to be disciple. And Barnabas is traveling because Barnabas has always believed in Paul, Right? So Barnabas is traveling with Paul around the ancient world doing this, and they've brought a, a younger leader along named John Mark. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in Acts 15. Because this is very interesting. In, in Acts chapter 9, Barnabas is advocating uh, for Saul, Paul, uh, in the presence of the apostles. Now, Barnabas is advocating for John Mark in the presence of Paul. Because Paul, at this point, doesn't have room for John Mark. And you'll see what I mean. So sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, so again, the years have passed. They've planted all these churches. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So he wants to go back where all these churches have been planted, see how they're doing. We also know from the scriptures that Paul is going to notice leaders that are gaining the respect of these communities, so they're going to lay hands on them as elders, right? Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and not continued with them in the work. Now, we do not know the circumstances of this. Uh, we don't know all the specific sources, but for some reason, John Mark had, had left the journey at this point, right? So they had been traveling before and ministering, and for some reason, maybe it got too hard, or John Mark got discouraged, maybe he's just a youthful leader and he was selfish. For any number of reasons, John Mark got off the boat, right? He's a less, less mature leader. And now, they want to go on another trip, and Barnabas is like, let's give John Mark another chance. Let's bring them along, and Paul's not happening. So here's what happened next, all right? They had such a sharp disagreement about this that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas, so Paul picks a new leader, and left, commended by the, leader, by the leaders to the grace of the Lord, and went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, just so you know the end of the story. We know from the rest of the New Testament that whatever disagreement here happened and whatever the details were in it, it did get rectified in time. 
Um, Paul is actually careful to speak well of John Mark in his future letters. And, and there's probably a lot happening here that has to do with Barnabas's gifting and Paul's gifting, but the point is they disagree. And Barnabas has been an advocate for this young leader, John Mark. I imagine in Barnabas's mind, and you really could see this from both sides, it's so raw and real for a family on mission that the New Testament includes this disagreement. This is so real on mission, right? We're following Jesus. We want to reach our neighborhoods and the nations, and we do not always see eye to eye on the specifics of how this should happen, what our plan should be, what the team should be, all those things. Leaders have real disagreements right, about, the, about these things. So it's comforting to me right, that this is included here. But if you just take Barnabas' side for a second, and I think Paul has some legitimate concerns here too, but if you just take Barnabas' side for a second, I can imagine him thinking, Paul, don't you remember what I did for you? Like, when nobody was giving you a chance, right, and... And no one wanted to believe that you were the real deal, and you were immature, and you weren't fully developed. Don't you remember that I took you to the apostles and said, said give this guy a chance? Barnabas is probably like, why won't you give this guy a chance? Right? I'm just doing for him what I did for you. But this is the beautiful thing about what I think Barnabas does. He sticks with, we go to the next slide, he sticks with John Mark's calling. So he makes room. I think it's what it looks like to champion each other's callings. He makes room. He witnesses to Jesus' work and Saul. Then he sticks with John Mark's calling. Friends, this is super simple this morning. Um, my challenge to you in the months ahead is to keep doing these three things for each other. Like Barnabas did. To make room for each other. Right? To share. It, it's really interesting. I was, I was uh, getting interviewed on a podcast this last week about the role of preaching in decentralized multiplying networks. We, the, the topic of conversation was, like, what role does preaching, like what I'm doing right now, do? What role does it play in a movement where things are you know, decentralizing and spreading out? Um, but the person who was leading the podcast said, Joel, I just heard you say that like 15 people preach at the Gospel Tab. And he was like, he was like, I just know that as soon as this podcast goes out, he's saying this on the recording. He's like, as soon as this podcast goes out, pastors are going to hear that and think, oh my gosh, they're going to have like a heart attack, you know? <laughs> they're going to be like, how in the world do you let that many people preach? And what about protecting our theology? And what about quality control? And what about, you know, it's like they're going to ask like all of these, you know, questions. Um, and he said, like, so how, how would you speak to that? And this was just my answer to that. Guys, we make room because if any, I mean, forget about, like, me sharing a pulpit or whatever. Think about if anyone had any right to keep all the power to himself to get the job done right, it, it would have been God. Amen. Right? Like, let me, you know what? I've got this one. You know what I mean? Like, that's what you would expect God to do. Like, you know what? You know what? You all are great. Love you. Also, I got it. Right? <laughs> like, like, I'll see you in heaven. Right? But just let me finish the mission. Right? But what we learn, we learn this in Jesus, and we learn it in his spirit at Pentecost, that what God does with power, listen, what God does with power is he gives it away. Yeah. He shares it. In a radical way, 
So much so that even though I could preach all day on God's sovereignty and say that from beginning to end, this thing is going to get done. We're going to reach the, the final unreached people groups on earth are going to be reached because God's going to get it done, right? Thank God, right? That he is going to do it. And yet, he so involves us in it that our choices matter in this thing. That our prayers, we were just prophesying that one saying, our prayers matter in this thing. That the things we do matter in this thing. He could have made it so that none of that really mattered. Right? But he involves us in it. If he has made room for us, then surely I can make room for another preacher. Right? At, at our pulpit. Right? Um, and it's like we don't believe that about God. Right? We don't believe that God would give himself away. Right? In that kind of way. And so, you know, we're, we're afraid. But he makes room. I want to encourage you to keep making room. Friends, would you please, I'm imploring of you today, would you please keep witnessing to the work of Jesus in each other's life? Yeah. You know, I, I love this about Barnabas, just this spirit that's like, no, I, I've seen Jesus, like I'd see Jesus in Saul. Like you might be scared of him, but I see Jesus. I would love it if you kept doing that for each other. Right? If you just kept saying, I see Jesus working in this person. Yeah, they don't exactly fit church culture. But I see Jesus doing something. Yeah, they don't look like us. But I see Jesus doing something. Yeah, they don't talk like us. But I see Jesus doing something in that person. And, and listen, even if it's something that doesn't look, every movement has to be careful. It's because, listen, Gospel Tab, Greenhouse Network, we have a way we talk. We have a way we do things. We have, that's, that's true of movements. And praise God for that, right? Because it's kind of God has imparted to us something of his heart. And so we own into the revelation that we have. But if I can just prophesy in the future, when God sends someone your way who does not fit in the gospel tab culture or who does not fit in the Greenhouse Network culture, testify to the presence of Jesus in that person's life, yeah. right? That's how movements keep going. Movements die when we start excluding the next person because they don't fit our thing. Right? Be willing to lay that down just to testify that Jesus is doing something that doesn't quite fit our paradigm. That Jesus is doing something who doesn't talk like us, in something who doesn't talk like us, who doesn't act like us. And then lastly, friends, stick with each other. Like, I, I get Paul's, listen, I, like, imagine you start a ministry, you're dependent on John Mark to, like, get stuff done. Like, dude, get your stuff done. You know what I mean? And he doesn't do it. As a matter of fact, he deserts and leaves. I get the pain, right? Some of you get the pain, right, of this. Like, I understand that. But there's something beautiful in Barnabas, right? But I don't think Paul was wrong to make the observation, like, this is an immature leader, right? I don't know if I want to bring him next time. Like, he gave us his word, and then he didn't follow through. I can see Paul's. I've led ministries. I can see Paul's point of view. <laughs> I really can. Like, let's just feel this for a second, right? But there's something beautiful in Barnabas. It's like, give this guy another chance. Listen, we've seen Jesus in him. So let's walk beside him. I know that to stick with the callings of people around you slows ministry down. I know it. I know it slows movement down. 
I know and it's very easy in a very self-righteous way. It's very easy to sound. I think Paul probably had a very righteous argument for why he should not bring John Mark right on this journey again. It's like, hey, we got cities to reach. This initial movement, you can always pull that one out, right? There's people who need saved, right? You can always pull that. We got to move quicker. There's people who need saved. There's people who need saved. That's true, but God does not overlook the love that the family shows to each other. Yeah. Right? Just to reach people. That's why we're doing this series on honor. Somehow he has built into it, sometimes us slowing down for each other so that we can stick with each other's calling when it gets hard. And listen, this just has to do with the immaturity of the leader, but there's other reasons why we have to stick with each other's calling. Have you ever been next to a really anointed, called person who all of a sudden finds, finds themselves in a season of grief? And they just can't do it. They just can't keep up. They just can't do what you rely on. Stick with their calling, Right? I, some of the most beautiful things I've seen at the Gospel Tab over the years is when someone just couldn't keep up. And this never gets publicized in our family. But someone just couldn't keep up. And I knew that there were leaders in secret fasting for that person's calling to protect that thing, to protect that anointing, to protect what they knew God had put on that person's life. People fasting in secret for someone else's calling Right? So that it would come to fullness. Right? Because they were just in a season of pain or hurt or betrayal or loss. And they just weren't able to see into the future. They weren't able to take another step. And people in this church fasted and prayed for them to protect that thing from the enemy. That's a family that loves each other. And whatever you do, don't lose that. Kind of already got into this. But it makes me think, like, why don't I do this all the time? Because I struggle with these things sometimes. Right? <laughs> like, I can read this. I can look at it. <laughs> but, like, while I make room, I already mentioned one of the ones, like, very ba- at a basic level, sometimes we just don't kind of share. That same podcast, they were like, they were like, what's a, like, they were like, for the pastor out there who can't imagine 15 people in their church praying, I mean, I mean, uh, preaching, you know, who came and imagined, and by the way, Mega churches have might have fifteen people preaching. Many times not though, because many times we build our ministries around one person's preaching, right? Um, but you might be able to have a big preaching team in a big church. We are not a huge church, and we have all these people preaching, right? So it's like for the for the pastor, like who can't imagine that, you know, other people preaching. What do you say? And I said on the podcast, share your stuff. Just as the first step. <laughs> just, just share something. Right? I said, if you're not ready to share the pulpit, then share your time in coaching a preacher. Share your time in helping someone else study the Word of God. Just share something that you have. And there's all kinds of reasons why we don't. For some, I'm, I'm, I know I'm talking about pastors and preaching right now, but you can make applications to all different kinds of things. Sometimes it's just because preachers get really addicted to this space, right? It's like, everyone's looking at me right now. Like right now, everyone's looking at me. And I'm talking and talking and talking, and you guys are all listening to what I'm saying, right? You get addicted to this space, right? And if our identity is in this, right, then I'm not going to want to share it because I'm going to need from you the affirmation that this space provides every week, right? 
God has to do something deeper in us so that we don't need that affirmation. I said on the podcast, one of my favorite things to do is for the Gospel Tap family to watch me sit under the preaching of men and women in our church who don't have a theology degree, who don't have, right? Because I learn from them, right? When we share our stuff, we actually get blessed. Whatever you give up, right, in the kingdom of God, God will give back to you. Um, and so in a different way. So that's the, the, making the room. We have to get over our, our desire for affirmation or whatever, or just our fears, right? Our fears about what will happen if we make room. I generally find, for those of you who lead ministries, that when quality control is talked about, which is a term that we really get from the secular world mm-hmm. in corporate America, when quality controls what talked is what's talked about in church settings, generally what's being talked about is just control. Yeah. Right? <laughs> okay? I'm not sure that the family of God was ever meant to be anything but childlike. Yeah. Quality, how do you quality control a five-year-old? Right? But that's what the church is supposed to be. Right? The church is more beautiful, more liberating. And I would say more powerful the more we act like a five-year-old, right? Instead of all sophisticated and professional. That's another thing. I think sometimes we don't witness. And listen, I, I say this with love to a family that loves to hear God for ourselves, that comes to church and says, I need a word from the Lord. I'm so glad that that's our environment. But a mark of a mature believer is that we aren't just listening for what God has to say about us. Right? That we're not just coming to the prophet for the next word for us. Right? Even though we all need that. How, how many of you know? Sometimes you just need a word from the Lord. A word from the Lord can get you through a whole season. Right? So we all need that. Right? We all need to hear from him. But there's something about the love of God working in a believer that causes them to notice the callings of people around them. Right? right? that just starts to notice what's happening when the person sitting next to them and starts to hear the Lord for the person sitting next to them. It's a mark of love. And in the, in the family of God, love is the only mark of maturity. Not how much we hear the Lord, not how much we prophesy, not how many miracles we perform. It's love, right? That's how you can tell who a mature leader is. And lastly, I don't stick with people because I just get tired. I just, I just, I just get impatient. You know what I mean? I just want patient, right? I do, and you do too. And God has been putting this word patient on my heart that even, even multiplying gospel movements, if they're spirit-filled movements, they're fundamentally patient movements. That is not how we think movement happens. It is not how we think God works in the world. Seriously, like, let's imagine that in the next five years, we get, and I think this totally could happen at the rate of things are moving. What if in the next five years, we see a hundred gospel expressions planted across Western Pennsylvania, right? Do you think that could happen in a patient way? A slow way? As soon as we start talking that way, we think that it requires our pushing, our quickness, our, but God is it's a fruit of the Spirit that He's patient, right? And somehow He has a way of creating movement even out of patience. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end here with this last thing. Let me preach good news to your bad news. Here, here's good news for your calling. The only reason we would talk about meeting all this is 
Barnabas is great, but if you really want to see Jesus in the scriptures, in a character study like this, okay, what's Barnabas like? How should we be like Barnabas? This sermon would be so lacking if we just made it. Like, let's be more like Barnabas. Mm-hmm. Here's a better question to ask. Not how can I be like Barnabas. A better question is, how is Jesus better than Barnabas? And Jesus is so, I love Barnabas, but Jesus is so much better. Because he's done all of this for us. Right? Heather, if you could come play with me. He does all this for us. He made room for you. In his story, he came to you and said, no, I got room for them. Oh, for sure, I got room for them. <laughs> like, he looked at you, and it wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh, we'll see how it goes, you know what I mean? Like, I really believe he came to you and was like, no, I'm into them. I want them on my team, right? He picked you to be on his team. Were any of you ever like the last, don't you need to raise your hand, ever like the last to be picked? You know what I mean? Like, you know, some of you raise Yeah, well, Jesus, it is like Jesus comes to you and picks you first. He's not ashamed to have you on his team. He knew what he was getting into when he got into you. He's not surprised when you can't keep up. Guys, he's just cool with you being on his team. That's good news, right? His spirit is always bearing witness, even when the enemy is accusing you of what he's done in your life. Friends, he just sticks with you in your calling. Aren't you glad for his patience? Come on, how many of you are just glad for the patience of Jesus, right? That when we couldn't keep up, when we couldn't, that he just stuck with us, right? Even when other people wouldn't stick with us. In fact, that's the last bit of good news I just want to give you. It's wonderful to have a Barnabas. And I hope all of you do, right? In your story. Or what's the plural of Barnabas? Barnabai. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That was funny. (laughs) I hope, I hope you have Barnabai. Who come alongside of you. And encourage you and make room for you and are witness to the work of Jesus in your life and who stick with you. Honestly, I hope you have that because that is how God designed the family. So I hope you get to experience that. But can I give you a word here too? Good news to your bad news. Let me preach the gospel. For those of you who don't, you do have a Barnabas in Jesus. For those of you who have never had anyone to make room for you and you're calling, you do, listen to me, you don't need to sweat it. You know what happens to people like that? The way the enemy twists that wound in people, people start to try to make room for themselves. And they, they become, like, I have, I've met people, they've come into our ministry and I thought, oh my gosh, no one ever made room for them. Because they're like asking you to preach on the second week. You know what I mean? It's like, because... They're looking for something that no one's ever given them, affirmation, right? Um, and listen, for, for, those, for folks who are like that, I actually won't give them the space to preach. And here's why. It's because the last thing they need is a pulpit. The first thing they need is to know that Jesus is right? And once you know that, and hopefully our community will be a loving place, but once you know that, 
Well, then you can stand up here and if someone takes this away tomorrow, you'll be good, right? Because that's not what this is about. Um, if you feel like no one's ever seen you and you're gifting and the things you're good at and the, thing, the ways he wants you, Jesus does. If, if people have left you and they didn't stick with your calling and you messed up and they don't want to take you on the next missionary journey, Jesus will stick with you. His mercies are new every morning. There's always a new start with him, right? Um, and so that's good news for you. Jesus is a better Barnabas. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Let's wrap up. Can we just thank him? <laughs>